Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Fighting the loneliness epidemic. Lacking social connection carries a risk similar to smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon talk this hour about the ways Utahns are coping with isolation through connection and serving others. A one-hour special on the unspoken epidemic of loneliness on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And we thank you for joining us on this conference weekend. Both uh, Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon here, hoping you're enjoying the conference coverage on KSL News Radio. Over this hour, Amanda, we're going to be talking about something that deserves a lot of attention. And maybe there are still some people out there who need some help through the pandemic. And that's talking about the effects of loneliness, particularly through the last couple of years of the pandemic. Yeah, I know this has affected some people more than others, but I've really enjoyed the writing in the Deseret News done by a friend of ours and columnist and journalist with the Deseret News, Lois Collins, who joins us now live. Hello, Lois. Hello there. I've enjoyed your writing on the effects that the pandemic has had in terms of loneliness and lack of connection on people in our community and around the world. But would you sort of lay out the groundwork for us? How have people been affected by being separated from each other? So there have been a lot of impacts, and part of it depends on your age. Every year we do the American Family Survey, and this year we ask specifically about the impact on mental health. And a third of adults, and mind you, this was only adults that we questioned, said that they were more sad, and a quarter of them said that they were not able to get the mental health care that they needed. So during the pandemic, we've seen a serious rise in depression, in sadness, and also in weight gain, which is related to how you feel overall, including with your mental health as well. Forty percent of single adults, in fact, who don't have any kids at all, said that they have been much more depressed. So they were the most impacted. And then we haven't had a way to really measure the impact on kids, but we know that a lot of them did without school events. They did without graduations and proms and all sorts of things, and they were already in the middle of an anxiety and depression crisis. So it's been pretty pretty significant. Yeah, we were talking about this before we jumped in uh, to our conversation about the fact that these problems, these mental issues have been around in our society. We've reported on them for a few years now, many years actually, but the pandemic really exaggerated what people were already dealing with, and yet they had no place to turn in those moments, which made it particularly tough. That's absolutely true. Um, Particularly among youth, we've seen an increase in depression and anxiety. But when I first started writing about loneliness, about probably 15 years ago, the group that struck me the hardest, even pre-pandemic, and this holds true during the pandemic, is older people who have no connections to their previous careers. They have no connections to their previous activities, and they really suffer. But the pandemic has been particularly hard, I think, too, on both kids and on senior citizens. Mm. And seniors have been locked away in nursing homes. They've been locked away at home 
without visits. Maybe you've got, you know, Zoom, like we have all live in Zoom, but I think it's harder to live on Zoom if you're 80 years old. And because of the risk factor health-wise for older people, the pandemic has been just devastating in that term. But I would be really remiss if I did not point out that some introverts have actually thrived a little bit in in the pandemic, which is kind of weird. People are not equally, they're not equally lonely and they're not equally geared to be in social situations. And so if you take away social situations that are really miserable for some people, then they are maybe perhaps doing a little bit better. But by our survey, it was 9% said that they are less lonely than they were. And part of that, oddly enough, is that it's harder to talk over someone on a Zoom. In a business meeting, you can Bigfoot somebody, but it's really hard to Bigfoot somebody on a Zoom. And so I, that's been kind of interesting. I had not thought about that. See, now this, my, here's something I have to disclose, that I know I have this, this job that is you know, sort of a public thing, but I am an introvert. So when I was working from home, that was the most comfortable feeling for me, to just be inside and not be in the world. But for my son, who is such an extrovert, it was like being a drowning kid. He missed the world so much. We are completely opposite in our personalities. So when you said that, Lois, that, that just rung true to me. It's true that there's always a silver lining for somebody somewhere in the most weird situations. But I think overall, people have different experiences in the pandemic. You can be lonely in a room full of people, and you can be perfectly comfortable by yourself. And so it has been a very different experience for a lot of people. But I think if you were to try to kind of tip the scale and figure out where it went, it tilted toward a mental health crisis Mm -hmm. more than it did toward people feeling happier because they didn't have to get together with other people. Now the question is, as we start to, and it feels like maybe we are headed in the right direction to get things back to normal, will there be enough services for the people that are actually finally able to reach out for it? No, there never were. There haven't been for probably at least for 15 years in Utah, but in in the country as a whole, there has been a real dearth of mental health access. And the pandemic, oddly enough, was good for that in one way, and that is that we started seeing more telehealth. So people were spending less time commuting, and there's less you, you can actually, if you're a mental health provider, you could see people who maybe would not be able to come into the office and see you. So there still weren't enough people, but telehealth did open that up a little bit to improve the situation slightly. Did it solve it? No. And we still have way more people who are not getting the help they need. And they're not getting it not only because they're not not enough mental health providers, but they're also getting it because they may not have insurance for it. They may not have the right kind of coverage. They may not have enough people in their community. That's another thing that telehealth, you can at least jump communities a little bit. You don't have to go 800 miles to get it. But no, we we are nowhere near, even without the pandemic, we are nowhere near the mental health capacity that we need to deal with the challenges. When we did a, a series on anxiety, we talked to people who waited weeks 
and weeks and even months to see someone for their kid who was in crisis. Lois Collins, we so appreciate your time. Reporter and columnist with the Deseret News. Coming up in just a minute, we'll introduce you to Dave Black and his family. He's a resident of Wyoming, but he has family here in Utah. And I think pretty typical experience with uh, older folks, young kids, and their experience through the pandemic with loneliness. Stay with us. More on that coming up in just a minute. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen for Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon Monday morning for the biggest stories affecting you. Five till nine on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, Tim and Amanda, with this uh, special hour for you as we continue to talk about loneliness and hopefully find some answers for you and your families if you've been dealing with this uh, through the pandemic era as we start to look for a brighter light uh, and move towards something more normal in our lives. And we're happy uh, in this segment, Amanda, to have Dave Black, who is with us, a resident of Wyoming, but he does have family here in Utah. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for for being willing to share with us what you and your family endured during the pandemic. And you had so many different circumstances that were so trying and that really created a feeling of loneliness, not only in yourself, but in your family members. Would you go ahead and just share with us what you went through? All of our children, um, I've got a daughter that is uh, newly wed, immunocompromised, and uh, was in the airline industry and it shut down immediately on the onset. And she had to leave her husband and relocate back up to Wyoming on the onset before the vaccines or anything else like that. Uh, she wasn't able to go out into the store, so my wife and I uh, shopped and delivered food to her and her mother and just left food on the step, couldn't even hug your kids. Our other daughter, uh, 19 years old, living in Salt Lake, um, in an apartment, not able to get out. And my wife, her grandfather, uh, in his 90s, lost all of his social activities. And my grandmother was in a care facility down in Ogden. And when it shut down, you know, everything was locked up. My parents spent time visiting with them, uh, with her, you know, through the window. And just not being able to see people, you know, give your kids a hug was really, you know, that what kind of hit home was you could you could drop groceries off, but we couldn't give them a hug. And it was just it went on until our locally um, we didn't seem like we had a lot of support for the uh, vaccine when it first came out. And then we kind of lost a lot of hope just around town because stuff that we had lost touch with with going out to dinner, having friends over. It seems like the community just was at odds all over. So 
we just shut the doors, stayed inside, and it became kind of a, a, a lonely few months until we finally started crawling out of it. Mm. You know, I lost my mom in the midst of the pandemic, and it wasn't because of the, it wasn't due to the virus, other than the fact that she was isolated in her home and by herself, and none of us wanted to compromise mm-hmm. her uh, health by visiting, even though we tried to do it on a regular basis. Uh, I'm sure you felt a sense of hopelessness at time, Dave, because you had so many around you, kids and grandparents and and your spouse, who needed your help, and yet there was such a limited way that you were able to provide it. Exactly, and we did the same thing. Um, we couldn't, for fear of spreading, not knowing, we couldn't go visit the, the generation that, you know, watched this come and go without any help. And my wife lost her grandfather during the same time, not to the virus, but it was just tough. Um, funerals during that time were they were just hard, um, if they happened at all. Was part of the loneliness that you felt based on the loneliness that your children felt or that your family members felt? I think we all shared it, um, some of them more than others. I mean, we nobody was completely isolated other than possibly the youngest daughter um, down in Salt Lake, surrounded by the most people, but just lonely. Uh, we're up in rural Wyoming. My son's in healthcare in Boise, and... So everybody had somebody close to them, but we couldn't reach out. We couldn't travel. We couldn't um, do anything else. And it was just feeling the despair that they were just, you know, everybody was feeling just trying to get through it day by day. And it, it finally, it finally broke. So, yeah. How is your family doing now, particularly your daughter that uh, had to leave her husband in Vegas, lost her job and, and then had health problems? She is doing wonderful, was uh, immunized as soon as possible. Um, She is now happily employed, relocated back to Ogden, homeowner in the Wasatch Front. Health is doing well, was able to um, stay as isolated and as safe as possible during everything. But that is also one thing that, I mean, being immunocompromised, she was, you know, she didn't even really step out last summer when we were just testing the waters. So she's just finally starting to get back to normal. She is doing good, though. She she weathered it. Um, her and her mother did, like, I think it was 67 days in the same house, and I don't know that they ventured out but a couple of times to get the mail. And I think that was, that was one of the worst parts, you know, for them was newlywed, lost a job, but she's back on her feet and everything's going well right mm. now. What what do you take away from this experience, Dave? What got you through? I think I have a really good relationship with my wife, and um, we could vent <laughs> as uh, we watched the evening news and didn't have any answers, and we couldn't solve anything that anybody else, that nobody else could solve. Um, just weather it. Let's try to um, do what's best for everybody and keep in contact with the kids. Um, a lot more texting, uh, phone calls which was nice in this modern era, but um, it made you realize that you probably don't talk to your kids, um, grandparents and parents as often as we need to. Oh, boy, do I love that. And I think that's one of the takeaways from the pandemic for me. If you look at it, a bright side, if there is such a thing in this mess, it is that we realized how much more we needed each other and how little we were actually relying on each other mm-hmm. at times. Dave, we're glad to hear that your family's doing well. Thanks for sharing such a personal story with us. 
You're welcome. We appreciate you, Dave. Coming up next during this special conference hour, we will learn from a BYU professor just how important to our health our connection to each other is. Stay with us. Fighting the loneliness epidemic. Lacking social connection carries a risk similar to smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon talk this hour about the ways Utahns are coping with isolation through connection and serving others. A one-hour special on the unspoken epidemic of loneliness on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon back, and uh, we thank you for spending this hour with us on this conference weekend as we continue to tackle the uh, battle that goes on with the loneliness epidemic on the heels of two years of pandemic. I want to say thank you to our guest in the first hour, Lois Collins, uh, who writes, of course, for the Deseret News, and then Dave Black, who was brave enough to share his personal story of his family with us. We thought we'd go to the other side of it now and talk to someone who actually is there where the rubber meets the road, uh, a psychologist and BYU professor. And Amanda, I know you two have talked before. I think we have. Dr. Julianne Holt-Lundstad joins us here during the program. And and Dr. Holt-Lundstad, I'd like to ask you a little bit about this fascinating research that you've done over many years that looks into the connection between connection and our health and sort of give us a, a little bit of the background into what you've studied. Yeah, I've spent the last oh two decades studying the protective effects of being socially connected and the risks associated with being isolated or lonely. And we have robust scientific evidence that this not only influences our emotional well-being, but has significant effects on our physical health and even our longevity. You know, I I said a minute ago uh, before we jumped on with you that if there is one bright spot to all of this, trying to find something uh, that's a positive nature about the pandemic, it is that maybe we've realized the importance of those connections and we actually had to put forth some effort to have what should have been a simple connection before any of this started. Oh, absolutely. I feel like we've all had a little bit of a taste of what it feels like to be isolated and lonely, and really recognizing just how important our relationships are. And as I mentioned, you know, it goes beyond just that emotional well-being. And it's so important to so many aspects of our lives. I remember the statistic or the the comparison that you made in something I had read, doctor, where you said that it was as bad for your health to not have a best friend or a close social connection as it is to smoke. Wasn't it something like that? Um, Close. Close. It's that, in essence, lacking social connection carries a risk similar to smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. And also similar to other kinds of risk factors, so exceeding things like obesity, physical inactivity, and, and air pollution And so we have good scientific evidence of the effects that this can have on our bodies that ultimately influence our health. I'm sure your studies, particularly for the number of years you've been at it, have uh, followed the impact of things like social media. And it's interesting, we call it social uh, media because it does tend to isolate people. And I wonder, they feel like they've got a connection and yet they find themselves isolated and that too can be detrimental to your health. 
Yeah. And of course, the evidence looking at the effects of social media are very complex. And there may be some potential benefits of connecting with people across distance. But indeed, as you mentioned, there's evidence that it can also be isolating and increase potential loneliness. And so we do need to be careful to not assume that all types of of social connection are equally beneficial. Yeah. I wonder if we should distinguish at all, Doctor, between social isolation and actually feeling lonely. Yes, absolutely. In fact, we often use the terms interchangeably because oftentimes when we are objectively alone, we feel (laughs) lonely, right? But yet there's good evidence that they, in some cases, can exist independently. So there are some people who, despite being around others, can still feel profoundly lonely. And similarly, others can be alone, but not necessarily feel lonely. So you might take pleasure in that solitude. And so they are distinctly different concepts, but yet both have been significantly linked to risk for premature mortality. So both are important. I wonder if you would agree with this. One of our guests uh, early in this hour, Lois Collins, who writes for the Deseret News, was talking about research that shows that introverts in particular actually did much better through the pandemic than others because that's the life they were already leading. Well, it's interesting because I know that that certainly is a a popular belief. And in fact, I remember seeing lots of really funny memes about, you know, introverts have been training for this our entire lives. (laughs) Um, But uh, other data suggests that actually, it was extroverts that fared better, which was somewhat surprising. And so in fact, one of my colleagues collected data from a large number of people over the pandemic. And it, it was somewhat counterintuitive. However, other research has shown that despite someone being an introvert, which you might assume you may prefer to spend more time alone, but actually introverts were at at greater risk for loneliness um, compared to, to extroverts. And so we shouldn't assume that just because someone is an introvert that they may not be lonely. And in fact, Much of the research suggests that really none of us are immune from loneliness. Mm. And and so really any one of us could potentially be lonely. And so it's important to be compassionate and look out for others, regardless of perhaps what characteristics we might think might put them at risk. Now we're, we're coming out of this pandemic time and coming back into the world. And yet for many people, some of the effects of that loneliness are lingering. Do you see that in what you study? So of course, the scientific community is following this closely. And, and there's been a lot of ebb and flow throughout the pandemic with periods of reopening and then periods of closing down again. And so one of the things that some research has shown is that while we see some benefits of uh, loosening of restrictions, for some, some anxiety has increased. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to continue to follow this over time to see to what extent there may be lingering effects um, and 
to what extent people are able to continue being resilient or, or rebound from this period. Mm. And everybody's going to go through it a different way, just like all other experiences yeah. in life. That's important to remember. We sure appreciate your time today, Doctor. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And coming up next on our, this program on Conference Sunday, we're going to be speaking with Chris Frazier, who is Family Services Program Manager at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, about one of the antidotes to loneliness, which is service. So stay with us for that. Listen for Tim Hughes and Amanda Dixon Monday morning for the biggest stories affecting you. Five till nine on KSL News Radio. Thank you again for spending this special hour with Tim and Amanda on KSL News Radio. I've enjoyed the conversation. Me too, Tim. We're talking about the battle that uh, many of us have had, and maybe unexpectedly, this loneliness epidemic that has uh, struck so many families, so many individuals through the pandemic era. And we are counseled, have been counseled forever to lose ourselves in the service of others mm-hmm. and talked about and learned of the benefits of doing that. Now would be the perfect time, I think, to have that conversation. I think so, too. And I've learned through personal experience in the lowest times of my life that the only thing that ever worked at bringing me back and bringing some sort of equilibrium back was serving other people. Certainly wasn't thinking about myself. Yeah. It was serving other people. And we are joined now by Chris Frazier, Family Services Manager, Program Manager at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thank you so much for your time. We wanted to focus on this and give our listeners a sense of hope and direction as to how they might uh, address any feelings of loneliness they have. And our thought was the way to do that is through service. And we wanted your thoughts. Thank you. I appreciate the, the opportunity to spend a few minutes and, and for you doing this segment. It's so important to offer that hope and direction. You know, service is very very helpful for our mental health, and in particular when there's an experience of loneliness. Uh, In a study by the Mayo Clinic, they found that through volunteering or offering service, it reduces stress and increases positive, relaxed feelings by releasing dopamine. Um, So by spending time in service to others, uh, volunteers or those who serve reported feeling a sense of meaning and appreciation, both given and received, which can have a stress-reducing effect. And this, this reduced stress further decreases risk of mental health problems such as depression and anxiety. So, so in essence, helping others or serving provides a dopamine experience, that feel-good experience, which is the same experience you feel after a, a rigorous workout. Even another study similar to that by John Hopkins University revealed that volunteers actually increase their brain functioning when we serve. Uh, so volunteer activities get you, get you moving and thinking at the same time, which was re- which reduces that those stress levels, and that in turn creates that social interaction, and and uh, it creates a support system which which can decrease the depression. So in, in essence, service is intrinsically rewarding, and it boosts that social connection. You know, as my kids were growing up, we would look for opportunities to to do service, and the one thing that it provides for them is for them to understand that what, what they thought was not going well in their life is actually going pretty well yeah. in their life. Uh, and you actually end up getting relationships that go way beyond that service project and sometimes become lifelong friends. Absolutely. And, you know, service, it, it, it may be on an individual level or a team level. 
where that social connection can be. In fact, it can be any act of helping or, or connecting with someone else. In-person or virtual opportunities. So, so the there are numerous opportunities, and we ought to be creative with those opportunities. For example, when, when engaged in an activity, we can ask ourselves if anyone we know could participate in that activity. And if so, reach out and invite them to join us in the activity. And that simple invitation is a way of serving and may lift someone else out of the darkness of loneliness. That's a great idea. I remember when I was a little kid, if I got into trouble or if I was just being sort of irritable or, you know, acting precious or whatever, my mother would say to me, maybe you need to go to the hospital and sit bedside with someone. Maybe you need to go to the old folks home and, and visit someone because you're just, you're just a little bit too full of yourself right now. And I, I hated her for doing that at the time, but I, I realize now the wisdom and she started me on that path of losing concern for myself and focusing more on others. But I love what you say, Chris, about inviting people to join you as a way of serving. Yes, yes. Thank you. And, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic, there are many, lo- many lonely people who are not aware they're lonely. They lack awareness about their loneliness. Given so much familiarity with being isolated due to social distancing, other emotions we may experience instead of loneliness, including like sadness, anxiousness, feeling depressed, or even bored, all of these feelings may be due to loneliness. And we have to, when we have these feelings, we should ask ourselves, am I lonely? And if we are, perform those tasks that help combat that loneliness. A primary one in service to others. And that awareness is half the battle to combat loneliness. We only have a couple of minutes left here, Chris, uh, never enough time, but I'm sure that you, through your uh, department, have some resources that people could get started in that effort of service if they can't come up with one themselves. Yes, thank you. Uh, I appreciate asking that. Uh, JustServe.org has many opportunities and success stories for motivation for service. Uh, these are service opportunities for anyone, not just members of the church. Um, and, and they're found in the community, and they can be one-time experience or ongoing. And, and as you go on that, justserve.org, uh, to the Welfare and Self-Reliance Department, you, you can find that creates that. There's in-person service opportunities as well as remote service opportunities. And you can go on there and plug in your zip code, and you can find hundreds of opportunities, such as volunteering at a supporting a, a support, excuse me, sporting event, uh, assembling food packages for children and refugees in need, uh, taking photos of gravestones to making pillowcases for hospitalized children, bandanas for first responders, uh, being a writer or blogger for Red Cross, and there's numerous opportunities. What a resource that is, justserve.org. Chris, I thank you for your time today and for all the work you do. Thank you. Appreciate all your efforts. Chris Frazier is a Family Services Program Manager for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You want to stay right there with KSL News Radio. Debbie coming up. Debbie Dujanovic, the most amazing story of how twin sisters are inspiring others after they discovered they both carry the gene for breast cancer. Amanda and I will be back Monday morning starting at 5. Thank you again for spending the hour with us uh, on your conference weekend here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. 
but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.